And now, Lindell TV brings you The Stone Zone with legendary Republican strategist and political icon and pundit Roger Stone. Stone has served as a senior campaign aide to three Republican presidents. He is a New York Times bestselling author and a longtime friend and advisor of President Donald Roger Trump. Stone. As an outspoken libertarian, Stone has appeared on thousands of broadcasts, spoken at countless venues, and lectured before the prestigious Oxford Political Union and the Cambridge Union Society. Due to his four-plus decades in the political and cultural arena, Stone has become a pop culture icon. And now, here's your host, Roger Stone. Welcome, I'm Roger Stone, and yes, you are back in the Stone Zone. You know, some days when you look at the news, it seems like events are spiraling out of control. That's how I feel today. Uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky was back in the United States at the United Nations in New York, uh, begging for another $24 billion for the war effort. This morning, with a calculator and using various news sources, I tried to total up the amount that America has already sent to Ukraine. I came up with somewhere around $234 billion, take or give a billion here or there. As the late Senator Everett Dirksen once said, that's a real money. Uh, it's also interesting that Zelensky met secretly with a group of U.S.-based investment banks in a meeting that was orchestrated by J.P. Morgan, the largest bank in the country, to talk about the rebuilding of Ukraine. There's a huge assumption there, uh, but I wonder if he gets a piece of that as well. At the same time, President Joe Biden humiliated the country again, bumping into a huge Brazilian flag, uh, as he tried to exit the stage, but failing to shake hands and snubbing the president of Brazil. Uh, joining me now to break this and a lot more of the daily news down is my adopted nephew, uh, Alex Stone. Alex, are you there and ready to join the Stone Zone? Roger, I am always here and always ready to join the Stone Zone. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure and an honor to be on with you on the Stone Zone. And, uh, you know, as you were talking about Zelensky, one of the things that I was thinking through my head is we have a pandemic of weak men. Zelensky is a weak man. Joe Biden is a weak man. We have so many men out there who are not doing their job as men and that is exactly why we we are why why we are where we are today in the United States of America and quite frankly the world because men have not ste stepped up and done their job as men they have not done their duties as men rather they have backed away and said I'm not going to do it and it's it's quite quite frankly a sad thing to see yeah, I think it is very disappointing uh, that no one in the Republican presidential field um, has uh, has really broken down for the American people what this conflict in Ukraine is really about. Vivek Ramaswamy says he's opposed to paying billions more to the Ukrainian dictatorship. Uh, President Donald Trump, I think, uses his words carefully because I think he understands that he may be the one man in a unique position to bring peace and stop the killing, having the credibility of all sides in this conflict. 
People have forgotten that it was Donald Trump who turned off the Russian oil pipeline. Uh, it was Donald Trump who gave offensive weapons to the Ukrainians when heretofore Barack Obama would only give them blankets. Uh, the idea that Donald Trump is in anyone's pocket is an absurdity. Uh, but rather than pick sides, as he made clear in that epic CNN town hall, which I would argue he completely dominated, his greatest concern is to stop the killing and avert World War III. The historical truth here is very important. When the Russians allowed for the reunification of Germany, we, the United States, led by Secretary of State James A. Baker, uh, signed an agreement, the Minsk Accords, in which we agreed not to push Ukraine or any other Eastern European country that adjoins the old Soviet Union into NATO. Let me define that for you. What we agreed to do was not to post thermonuclear weapons, intercontinental ballistic missiles on the ground in Ukraine pointed at Russia. We are now in violation of that agreement. Our push of Ukraine into NATO really is about uh, the uh, mounting of nuclear weapons, missiles on the ground. The silos, uh, as a uh, uh, has already been reported by uh, leftist reporter Max Blumenthal. The silos for those missiles have already been built by NATO. Now it is just a question of dropping the, the lethal missiles into them. So those who say that this war is about a desire by the Russians to regain their empire, to assert control over every square inch of Ukraine, that is false. Now, I know that by saying this, uh, that the talking heads at CNN and MSNBC and others uh, in the jackals, uh, among the jackals in the fake news media will say that you're a Russian bot, you're a Russian stooge, you're a Russian spy. I've been called all those things before. They're all false. Uh, as someone whose own family were crushed by Russian tanks in the streets of Budapest in 1956, I'm not an admirer of Putin or his brutal authoritarian regime. But the only thing I like less than the Russians uh, is World War III, and I really think that is what's in the cards if we continue on this course. What say you, Alex? Well, I, I want to comment about Russia, because while you were talking about Russia, I, I was thinking about this, about you know the current situation that we're in. In 2016, uh, liberals and Democrats, 2015-2016, they claimed and cried uh, different things such as Russian collusion. If Russia was colluding with, with uh, the United States of America and President Trump's team to get him in office, why in the world didn't they do that once again in 2020? Um, you know, th this is uh, an interesting scenario that we see all over the place. Um, with Russia, Ukraine, uh, the United States of America, as you did talked about just a few minutes ago, you crunched the numbers. Why in the world do we continue to send money? Why in the world does Zelensky continue to ask for money? It's because it's because we're blindly giving uh, to a disgusting thing that's happening overseas that we should not be involved in uh, whatsoever. And I think every single every single American who's actually awake knows that we should not be involved in this whatsoever. President Trump has made it clear very very. Uh, or time and time again that he is going to end this on day one once he is uh, back in the Oval Office. And I believe him on that. Many 
previous presidents. They made claims and they made uh, promises, but President Trump is the only president uh, in my lifetime, uh, which you know I've only had three, but he is the only president that actually makes promises and keeps them. And I believe that he's going to end this war in Ukraine with Russia, and uh, it's going to stop. And, and, and you know, I, I agree with President Trump. I just want people to stop dying um, because it's quite frankly very sad. The only other presidential candidate uh, who makes sense on this issue, candidly, is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, he has actually yeah. stated in very eloquent terms that history, which I cited earlier in this segment uh, regarding our obligations under the Minsk Accords, uh, in which we agreed not to cede a single, not to move, quote, a single inch uh, closer to Russia in terms of NATO. Uh, yet there seems to be very little appetite uh, for that point of view within today's modern Democratic Party. Today's Democratic Party is very hard to understand. Democrats were once the party of civil liberties. They were once the party of civil rights. Uh, they were once the party with a deep suspicion of the FBI because of their spying on anti-war demonstrators during uh, the Vietnam War. Uh, they were once uh, the opponents of the police state uh, and the mass surveillance that we've seen under this administration and, sadly, the previous administration in a runaway uh, rogue intelligence agency uh, basis. Uh, yet today's Democratic Party seems to be gung-ho for World War III. Uh, as I said on this show yesterday, the future of Robert Kennedy's candidacy really is up in the air. I think it is abundantly clear that he is a breath of fresh air for the Democrats, the only Democrat who opposes uh, the open borders, who wants to seal our southern border, the only Democrat who's opposed to giving two-plus billion dollars more to the uh, insane Iranian regime so they can restart their uh, nuclear weapons development program, although the $6 billion we just gave them probably give them a pretty good start. Uh, he is the only Democrat who stands for health freedom uh, in the throes of what is clearly another planned demic. Uh, he is the only Democrat skeptical about shipping billions of dollars more to Ukraine. But it is becoming abundantly clear that the Democratic Party establishment is rigging the system and the rules against him. They have changed the lineup of their primaries and caucuses to disadvantage him. He has no opportunity to break through in Iowa or New Hampshire. Those states have been stripped of their delegates because they refuse to move behind South Carolina, despite state laws, I believe, in both states that actually require them to have the first contests. Uh, now it's not clear uh, whether the rules will even allow him to compete or be on the ballot in Georgia, South Carolina, and Nevada if he sets foot in Iowa and New Hampshire in an attempt to at least win Pyrrhic victories uh, in those states where Joe Biden or whoever the stand-in for Joe Biden turns out to be, uh, won't even appear on the ballot. RFK could have theoretically run up a large total in those early states to underline the credibility of his candidacy. So will he or will he not seek to get on the ballot as an independent? And 
if he were an independent candidate, where do his votes come from? Well, part of the answer is uh, they come from some voters who wouldn't have voted anyway. In other words, voters who would vote for neither Trump nor the Democrat, presumably for sake of discussion today, let's say Biden, new people brought to the to the uh, system, uh, brought to the election. But additionally, it's interesting that a new Rasmussen poll shows that Robert F. Kennedy's approval rating is higher among Republicans at 56 percent than it is with Democrats at 41 percent or independents at 49 percent. To me, that means that, and this is a huge if, if Robert Kennedy could manage to get on the ballot as an independent uh, in enough states to theoretically glean 270 electoral votes, uh, I haven't seen any survey research, but my guess is uh, that he would draw from both parties, but probably disproportionately from Donald Trump. Again, uh, being a professional in politics, we don't base our assumptions on guesses or hunches or theories. Uh, I look forward to seeing some hard data. Alex, what do you think the future of Robert Kennedy's presidential campaign is? Well, first of all, I want to talk about how they're trying to sabotage his campaign completely. They're doing the same thing with President Trump with legal things. Uh, This is the beginning of tyranny. Every tyrant starts by getting rid of their opposition. That's what Adolf Hitler did uh, near quite a few years ago in the 1920s, 30s, 40s. Uh, That's what many other uh, people uh, who are beginning to become tyrants do. They sabotage their political opponents. And I believe that's happening right before our very eyes in the United States of America today. I've been thinking about Robert F. Kennedy for a while now and, you know, his future and what that will look like for him. And uh, I, I thought about this like three months ago Um or a few months ago when I, I first heard that he's running is that they are going to try to stop him with whatever way, shape and form possible. They've obviously tried to keep him from having a secret service detail when historically every uh, presidential candidate has had secret service detail, but he's been denied that even though he's requested it, I think twice now. Um, and, and what, like you just said, with, with him not being able to make the ballots. I've been thinking about this for a while and the fact that he could run as an independent. uh, And and I believe that he'd be the only serious independent in a a very long time. My concern is that once, like you said, is once that happens, he'll take more voters from President Trump uh, than than he would from Joe Biden uh, because of the poll that you uh, just talked about, how he has a higher approval rating uh, among Republicans than he does Democrats. My concern is that that him running as an independent uh, could potentially take away uh, enough voters from President Trump and make him lose uh, this time. Uh, And and it's really disturbing to think about. Uh, A historical footnote that I think is important in 2000, because his fellow billionaire Ross Perot uh, and then sitting Governor Jesse Ventura, who had been elected governor of Minnesota as an independent, Uh, both urged their friend Donald Trump to consider running for president as the candidate of the Reform Party. Uh, And because Donald Trump was unhappy with the two-party establishment duopoly uh, and America's declining position in the world, he did briefly seriously consider an independent, in this case a Reform Party, candidacy for president. Uh, And while the polls were very encouraging, in the end, they showed that he 
would have drawn disproportionately for from the Republicans, uh, and he most likely uh, would have inadvertently elected Al Gore. Given Gore's position on climate change, Trump did not want to make that race, A, because the polls showed that although he was strong, he probably could not win as a minor party candidate. Uh, and secondarily, he most certainly did not want to be responsible for the election of Al Gore. Uh, despite that, he was greatly disappointed in the performance of George W. Bush, uh, who, of course, plunged us uh, into a war in which we actually had no inherent interest. Uh, Trump denounced that war. Some in the media have claimed otherwise, but I know I was there. So um, I think that uh, the other point I would stress here, which is absolutely key, is that the idea of an independent candidacy is a very romantic notion, but actually getting on the ballot, uh, if given the short time frame left before the filing deadlines uh, in the various states, is exceedingly problematic. This is a very expensive, very highly technical, highly legalistically challenging uh, and manpower intense endeavor. You don't just go into the state board of elections, pay 25 bucks and sign your name. Uh, we have to remember that the rules for getting on the ballot as an independent uh, are written by Republicans and Democrats working together to make the process as arcane uh, as difficult as possible, and also to make the time frame in which one has to collect hundreds of thousands of valid signatures, signatures of voters who are legally eligible to sign, signatures of voters who have not signed a petition for any other candidate's ballot access, almost impossible. So if Robert Kennedy and his advisors are going to make this decision, they don't have until next August, in truth, given the deadlines as I have studied them, you cannot both pursue the Democratic nomination, then suddenly stop and pursue an independent candidacy. The, the timelines are, are almost identical for ballot access for the Democratic primaries and caucuses as they are for filing as an independent. Uh, it's not like Robert Kennedy has the luxury of being a candidate of one of our two uh, major minor parties. Uh, the Libertarian Party, of which I was briefly a member after the Republicans unwisely nominated Mitt Romney, uh, probably has permanent ballot status in somewhere around 30 states, uh, has experience uh, and the technological ability and the manpower to petition their way on in the other 20 states. There are two states, Oklahoma and Michigan, uh, in which there has been no uh, minor or independent party candidate on the ballot in recent years. The courts there seem to be partisan, uh, and you can bet that an independent candidacy uh, by the libertarians will be challenged in court by the Republicans. And then, of course, there is the Green Party. Once again, the Green Party, uh, probably on the ballot in roughly 30 states, they also have the experience, expertise, uh, and manpower to get on the ballot in approximately the balance of the other 20 states. Uh, Professor Cornell West is the clear front runner for that party nomination. He is a well-known radical progressive. Uh, and I would say, without seeing polling, 
uh, that it is my hunch that those votes come from Joe Biden. Uh, in those national polls in which Professor West has been tested, and I think he should be tested uh, in all of the polls, uh, any candidate who gets on the ballot in a sufficient number of states that they could theoretically win 270 electoral votes should be included in the polls. Um, it's very clear that the votes he does get, at least nationally, uh, come from the Democrats. Then that leads us to the question of the debates. The Presidential Commission on Debates, well, it's not appointed by the president, it's not really a commission, and it's most certainly not about debates. It's interesting to note that the co-chairs of the Presidential Commission on Debates uh, are the Republican and Democratic national chairmen and chairwomen. That's because uh, this construct is designed to keep independent candidates and minor party candidates out of the presidential debates. So unless one of the networks on their own uh, invited minor party candidates to a presidential debate, which has never happened in recent memory, uh, even Robert F. Kennedy could be marginalized, and that's if he can get on the ballot uh, in enough states sufficient to run. So um, I think the debates are all important. It's important to note uh, that in the 2012 election between Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, 73% of voters told the Gallup poll that they wish there was another alternative. But there were alternatives. New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson was running. Uh, the Green Party also had a candidate whose name I can't recall at this moment. Yet because of a media blackout in 2012 of those candidacies, nobody knew about them. Alex, how, do, how important do you think the debates will be in 2024? I think the debates will be very, very, very important, Roger. You know, I, I'm thinking back in, in history. I'm currently in American history class, and I've been, you know, studying presidential history and, and, and different debates. And um, de debates have historically been very, very uh, impactful. I think the first ever televised uh, debate, uh, I, I don't remember who it was with, but I heard this, is that that debate, uh, once it was on television, I think John F. Kennedy, and I don't remember who he was running against, uh, but because of the demeanor that was seen on television by JFK's opponent, uh, JFK uh, won that election very, very, uh, very easily. I believe that the same thing is uh, true for today. When we see debates happen, when we hear debates happen, um, it, it changes people's minds. Now, obviously, in 2020, that didn't happen because uh, of election fraud. President Trump should have won, but uh, election fraud occurred. Uh, but I believe that this year, this time around, um, debates will be ultra important, especially if uh, somehow, some way, or excuse me, Robert F. Kennedy uh, were to debate Joe Biden. I think he would run circles around him. I think Joe Biden uh, were to be very easily defeated, uh, considering what you talked about earlier at the very beginning of, of this show. Um, Joe Biden can no longer walk. He can no longer run upstairs. He can no longer go downstairs. He can no longer talk. It's completely embarrassing. If he were to go and get up on a debate stage, uh, he would lose very, very, very easily. And it's, it's, it's you know, I, I'm thinking about the, the Dr. Oz debate versus John Fetterman. The number one thing that was Googled after that debate is how do I change my vote? 
because so many people had already had already uh, sent in their ballots, sent in their mail-in ballots. They were like, oh my goodness, we cannot be voting for this man. Unfortunately, you can't change uh, your vote. But I think that the debate would be quite, very, quite important uh, this time around um, if it were to happen to be JFK or excuse me, RFK uh, versus Joe Biden. Yeah, therein lies, I think, the greatest single problem for the Democrats. Uh, the reference you make, of course, is to the 1960 debate between Vice President Richard Nixon, who was far better known uh, and more experienced uh, than John F. Kennedy. How Kennedy looked uh, and Nixon's, who had been ill, his poor performance in that debate, uh, the first of four debates, may have cost him the presidency. Uh, it is interesting that John Kennedy understood that how you looked was just as important as how you sounded and what you said. Here's a short video of Joe Biden at the UN, which I think illustrates the nightmare for the Democrats. They cannot imagine Joe Biden going into a debate with Donald Trump. Let's roll this. To greet the Brazilian trade unionists that came to my invitation by my labor minister, and I also like to greet the U.S. trade union leaders. So there you see Joe Biden snubbing the president of Brazil. Uh, if you saw the rest of that, he actually bumps into the flag on his way out. He seems to be fiddling with an earpiece, which leads me to believe that he's getting stage directions from somewhere. Uh, I don't think there is anyone, even among his own handlers, who believe uh, that Joe Biden could handle Donald Trump uh, in a debate. So I want to thank uh, Alex Stone. Alex, tell people where they can see your daily show. Roger, thank you so much for uh, having me on. I, I, I would like to mention your book, Stone's Rules. You talked about how you know people look, uh, and, and your book, Stone's Rules, has helped me, uh, you know, get better, uh, get more professional. Uh, so go buy that. Um, I, I believe it's at StoneZone.com or StoneRulesBook.com or something. Um, go buy Stone's Rules. Then you can also find me at uh, a underscore Stonewall on Twitter and, or excuse me, X, formerly known as Twitter and truth social as well then you can follow my podcast a stonewall's perspective on rumble apple podcast spotify really anywhere you can find a podcast all right i want to thank uh, my adopted nephew alex stone he makes reference to my book stone's rules or which i'm happy to say has an introduction by my good friend uh, tucker carlson uh, you can order your book online, a signed copy, by going to stonesrulesbook.com, stonesrulesbook.com. This is kind of like uh, Sun Tzu's The Art of War or Machiavelli's The Prince. Uh, these are the lessons I've learned in a 40-year career in the uh, public arena. Uh, it's not all about politics. It's also about many, many other things, advertising, media, the Internet, style, fashion, food, fitness, uh, it's all here. doesn't matter whether your avocation is in agriculture or tech or entertainment or retail. I think there are important lessons for life uh, in this book. So once again, you can get your copy by going to stonesrulesbook.com. Uh, and by going there, you can get an autographed copy. Now, you could go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, 
uh, but your copy will not be signed. And if you want this personalized, just note that in your order, and it will be my great pleasure uh, to sign it for you. Coming up next uh, on the Stone Zone, uh, John Tobacco. Uh, you know him best from Newsmax, where he hosts a show called The Wise Guys. I call him the wisest man on Wall Street. Uh, but today he's wearing a different hat as a community activist from Staten Island. He has been among those spearheading the peaceful protests of the illegal migrant invasion of New York City. Uh, he joins us shortly. Uh, but before I bring John Tobacco in, by the way, he's at Johnny Tobacco uh, on X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, I want to tell you that I am, of course, a coffee lover. I could not do this show uh, without a bracing a cup of coffee just before we go on the air. I have that energy dip around four o'clock in the afternoon. Took me a while to find the ideal coffee. I wanted a coffee that was smooth, energizing, bracing, but didn't give me a stomach ache or a bitter aftertaste. And I found my coffee and it's actually called My Coffee and it's available at mystore.com. We're gonna let Mike Lindell tell you about it now. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, MyStore.com. And when I tried my coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months doing my due diligence, and this family-owned business micromanages every step from the fields to the cup to ensure the best quality coffee you're ever gonna have. It starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras. Honduras's volcanic soil and humid climate make the perfect growing conditions for coffee plants, which produce the best beans ever. Then each batch is tested for its aroma, taste, and other aspects to meet the highest standards in the coffee industry. And after that, it goes into production, which is all done right here in the USA. It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee, but delivered right to your front door. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code and you'll get your very own My Coffee for 25% off. You guys all know that I've traveled the country for the past year and a half. I've stayed in hundreds of hotels. I've tried every coffee out there. Well, some of the coffees have that terrible aftertaste, some that leave me jittery, or I get an upset stomach. Well, my coffee is different. It's the richest, smoothest, best coffee I've ever had. My coffee comes in a variety of flavors. You get them ground or whole bean, plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. I guarantee it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get my coffee for 25% off. And I'm gonna give you deep discounts on all my store products. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. Please order now. At mystore.com. Now you can go to mypillow.com and there you will find a link taking you to my store. While you're at MyPillow, let me urge you to use promo code STONE, promo code STONE. And while you're there, check out the amazing MyPillow 2.0. Now, if you have been following the news, you saw my good friend Mike Lindell, the proprietor of MyPillow.com, 
uh, and uh, in a deposition, some snide left-wing lawyer accused Mike Lindell of selling lumpy pillows. Nothing could be further than the truth. The revolutionary new My Pillow 2.0, the first new pillow that Mike Lindell has introduced in over 20 years, uh, employs a patented cooling technology which keeps the pillow cool to the touch throughout the night. And right now there is a special uh, at mypillow.com in which you can get a four pack of these revolutionary new pillows, normally a value of $259.92 for a low, low $99.98. So if you want to support Mike Lindell uh, and all of his endeavors for free speech and election integrity, and you want to support us here at Stone Zone, please go to MyPillow now uh, and use promo code STONE when you do. Thank you so much. Joining us now uh, is uh, John Tobacco, who hosts uh, a great show on Newsmax called The Wise Guys. Uh, I like to call him one of the true wizards of Wall Street, but he's not here to talk to us about business or the ups and downs of the market today. He's here to talk us to us about the illegal migrant invasion of New York City. New York City uh, is experiencing the same uh, overflow uh, of migrants being shipped from our southern border as most major cities in the country. Uh, a $26 million contract to build a tent city in Chicago was exposed today in the media. But nowhere is this reaching the flashpoint that it is in New York City. Uh, therefore, John Tobacco, a proud native of Staten Island, joins us here on the Stone Zone to help break it down now. Hey, Roger, how are you? I'm in New York City today. For joining us, uh, this is, uh, the whole thing is hard to fathom. Uh, first of all, let me say that I was on Newsmax the other night uh, I correctly said that Greg Kelly was one of the best-dressed men on television, uh, but I was remiss by not mentioning that you are certainly in his league. And I have a feeling when this year's international best-dressed list is, is released, well, I have a feeling both you and Greg Kelly will probably both be on it. Wanted to clear that up. Well, uh, Roger, I'm in New York City. As you know, you're talking about the migrant crisis. And uh, while I'm a, a Newsmax host, I'm also a Staten Island, New York resident. And uh, over in Staten Island, New York, there are more and more people who are seeing the effects of these horrible border policies of Joe Biden and his administration. And now it's trickling into blue cities and blue states. Staten Island happens to be one of them right now. And um, we're fighting wars against Mayor Adams. We're we the people. Um, at two different locations. They keep trying to force more migrants upon our community, and we don't want them. Um, and today, I'm with a contingent of Staten Islanders out here in uh, Midtown Manhattan, and uh, Eric Adams just pulled up for a uh, fundraiser at the office of uh, your colleague and buddy, I guess, uh, Arthur Idala's law firm is having a fundraiser for Adams. And uh, we had a little greeting committee here for him from Staten Island and other boroughs to let them know we're fed up with the migrant crisis. And uh, Roger, truthfully, uh, moms and grandmas across this city are freaking out because they feel like this migrant crisis is a threat to their children. Uh, 
blue collar uh, community, uh, the most conservative uh, of the boroughs of New York. There have been mass, and I point out, peaceful protests uh, against the migrants. Migrants have been put, I believe, in two locations there now. Uh, it is a dangerous, toxic situation. We've covered this previously. Tell me what happened on, I guess it was, uh, Midland Avenue the other night. Yeah, well, look, you know, the, the, the elected officials in Staten Island had inquired with the mayor's office and uh, also with home, sort of homeless if they were going to use this facility on Midland Avenue as a uh, migrant shelter. They told them no, up, down, upside, every way. Um, just 10 days ago, they told our elected officials like Vito Pacella and Senator Andrew Lanza that uh, no contracts were signed. And at the same time, there's work going on day and night in the building. All of a sudden, the other day, uh, an MTA New York City bus pulls up loaded with a dozen migrants. Um, and the people in that Miller Beach community, they started an uprising. They, they blocked the bus. They blocked the streets. Uh, totally civil disobedience and uh, expression of their First Amendment rights. No violence. No uh, name calling of the migrants themselves. But... Uh, the rallying cry was go back to uh, Manhattan, where Eric Adams gave you a hotel room. And uh, for about five hours, there was a standoff between the people and the migrant bus. And uh, ultimately, the police came in with an amazing, I mean, an awesome and awful show of force. Over 200 cops, they barricaded the people in. Um, and quite frankly, Roger, as, as a patriot and American, um, it reminded me of Tiananmen Square when you see seeing 10 people just literally being thrown to the ground by police and arrested for doing nothing more than saying some stuff that the cops and the administration didn't like. Uh, old ladies, uh, young people peacefully protesting. The cops just wanted to scare and intimidate everyone. Um, and ultimately they won. But now there's a 24-hour rally going on day and night in front of that facility. And uh, like Staten Island's done before, we're fighting back and we're not going to take it laying down. Stories uh, that I read had to do uh, with a controversial migrant shelter uh, in Erichar, um, which they used a 67-year-old structure that was never intended to be residential. It has uh, no bathrooms. Uh, it doesn't have sufficient uh, uh, sewage facilities. And therefore, the city... Uh, has to use ejector pumps uh, to pump raw sewage, uh, to collect raw sewage several times a day. The odor of feces uh, infects the air. This is between, I believe, a, a girls' school and a residential neighborhood. Uh, you can understand why the people are upset. Uh, thousands of people uh, have uh, come to protest at St. John's Villa Academy, the building I referred to, which was closed in 2018, uh, bought by the city, uh, planned to be a public school, but now being used as a migrant shelter. Uh, one resident says the stench uh, is uh, unbearable. Uh, there are 24-hour generators, outdoor showers, uh, and porta-potties, and dumpsters full of trash which are attracting rats to the community. This entire situation seems toxic to me. Uh, and uh, the, re the, the result, I should say, the reaction of the city uh, to these peaceful protests is to use drones 
uh, to try to use facial recognition technology to determine the identity of the peaceful protesters, as well as geotechnical technology to pick up the cell phone numbers and to further uh, identify those who are really just using their First Amendment rights to peacefully protest these policies. Uh, Mayor Adams can't seem to make up his mind. One day he says this flood of illegals is going to destroy the city. Uh, The next day he's hailing Joe Biden for giving 116,000 Venezuelan immigrants who have arrived uh, work permits. So uh, I guess he just wants to get them out of New York City and into other communities where they can cause problems. What is going on with Eric Adams? You know, Roger, you hit it right on the money. The one facility at St. John's Villa in Arrowcar, um, that was a school. And when that was bought by the city, it was told to the community that it was going to be preserved as an academic institution for generations to come. It would address the more than 1,000-seat shortage we had before the migrant crisis. So many people felt safe that this beautiful bucolic campus in a residential neighborhood who's forever going to be uh, used as an academic institution. In fact, Eric Adams' current New York City building commissioner, who was the borough president back then, he said that we're happy to sell this to the city because we saved it from unwanted residential development. And now, as soon as you know it, a building that was used for uh, two to three hundred young kids who didn't need to take showers and they only used the building nine months out of the year from nine to three, is now turned into a 24-hour homeless shelter for 300 adults, mostly men, there's no showers, so there are outdoor porter showers, there are sewage trucks pulling up every single day to pump out the sewage and the uh, and the, and the uh, showers as well, it stinks up the neighborhood. You said there's a girls' school across the, week, across the street, there's 400, 1,400 students across the street, and then one block down, there's another thousand in a public elementary school. And uh, so people at Staten Island feel like, you know, 300 military age men predominantly in a neighborhood where there's 2,500 kids just a block away uh, is a recipe for disaster. And the neighborhood is ticked off. Now, while we have a 24 hour vigil running there, they try to stick in another homeless shelter on Midland that community activated as well. So we're fighting them on two fronts right now. And quite frankly, we're winning because um, every time they try to send more migrants there, we're pummeling them with facts that they should go back to New York, where they to Manhattan, where they had a uh, hotel room and a bathroom and all that good stuff. And these places are not even safe or humane shelters. So it's actually working, Roger, because people are asking to be taken back to Manhattan The one building has a 300-person occupancy. It's got 40 people in it right now. They can't get them in. The other one that they just started the other night with a 10 arrest tour has a 450-person occupancy, and there's only 12 in there. So the uprising of the people is actually having a pronounced effect on Eric Adams' plans. There may be some misunderstanding. You and those who are protesting do not advocate and are not using violence in any way. There have been no assaults on immigrants, nor do we condone any assaults on immigrants, but you are using information to convince immigrants to return to New York City. The Roosevelt Hotel, 
which is on the National Register of Historic Places, once the elite headquarters of Mayor John V. Lindsay, Governor Nelson Rockefeller, Governor Thomas E. Dewey, one of the most elite uh, upscale hotels uh, in New York City, I just use this as an example, is now a migrant shelter. Uh, there were 41 arrests at the Roosevelt Hotel just last week. There's open fighting in the lobby. There are people defecating in the hallways. It is chaos. And this is just a small example. Uh, New York City uh, is housing most of these migrants. That's because Governor Kathy Hochul, a Democrat, doesn't want the migrants sent uh, to the suburbs, doesn't want them sent upstate because it might threaten the political balance of the state. Uh, the city has, or someone has, shipped migrants to Rockland County. The Rockland County executive has been very outspoken about the fact that he cannot accommodate them, doesn't have the facilities. Uh, it is a threat to the community. Uh, but Joe Biden, when he's appealed to, he's so busy sending billions more to Ukraine that he isn't sending any additional financing to Governor Kathy Hochul or to Mayor Eric Adams, both Democrats. Uh, instead, he's agreed to appoint a liaison. So I guess he can hear firsthand how bad things are getting in New York City. Do I have the politics of that right, John? You got the politics right on the money as usual, Roger. And you know, uh, about, a, about a year back, the city council of New York City and Mayor Eric Adams tried to pass a law allowing non-citizens to vote here in New York City. And it took Staten Island Borough President Vito Pacella to start a lawsuit to fight back against allowing non-citizens to vote. Borough President Pacella won that case, and now the mayor's appealing it, but it's been an appeal for uh, nearly a year. And, you know, many people in Staten Island and across the five boroughs and across this country are saying, we could smell a rat from a mile away, Roger. They want to give these people working papers as fast as they can. Then they'll turn the working papers into voting cards. And then all these millions of people that they're allowing in and shipping into sanctuary cities will be able to uh, affect the vote totals uh, when they need them again. And, uh, you know, I, I think people are fed up. And one of the things I'll say to you, Roger, is at most of these rallies, I'm seeing more and more Democrats standing shoulder to shoulder with Republicans and saying this is no longer acceptable. Issue. Uh, it is important to note yesterday, Governor Josh Shapiro of Pennsylvania announced automatic voter registration in the Keystone State for anyone who is getting or renewing their driver's license. And as I studied the matter, it became abundantly clear that in getting a driver's license, there is no requirement for proof of citizenship. So I think John Tobacco has hit it just on the head right there. The ultimate intention, uh, as they ship these migrants to most of the urban centers in the country, uh, is to get them work papers, uh, but then to allow them to vote first in local elections, then in state elections, and finally in national elections. Uh, this is uh, the left calls it uh, a tax is saying that uh, our theories about replacement strategy are wrong. I think they are exactly on the money. John, if uh, I was a New Yorker, if I lived on Staten Island, 
uh, and I wanted to get involved in a positive way, uh, again, ruling out violence, but making my voice heard, what can I do? Roger, um, I, first and foremost, I want to say I'm a proud son of an NYPD officer. And every chance I get, I back the blue. I back the NYPD when it wasn't even sexy. Um, when it was sexy to be part of the defund the police crowd, I was wearing my NYPD hat proudly, okay? But what's happening right now, we're not asking anyone to be violent. We're actually encouraging people not to be violent not to even make it personal against the migrants themselves. We don't want people saying, go home to your country, you stink, you suck. Um, we want people telling them the truth. This is not a good place for you. You had it better in New York City, Manhattan, where you had a hotel room. These are temporary shelters. Go back to New York City, go back to Manhattan. Eric Adams wants you there. Um, and it's quite the effective message. And you know, because that now, and I call it the redheaded step borough of New York City, it's the only place we vote for uh, Republicans is out here in Staten Island. I truly believe that Eric Adams, um, as he so inartfully said when he was a cop, he used to kick them crackers' ass every day. Um, he knows Staten Island, or at least he thinks he's predominantly white, predominantly Republican, and he really doesn't care what he's doing to us. And uh, people in Staten Island, as you know, are starting to talk about seceding and saying, hey, we don't even want to be part of New York City and possibly New York State anymore. So we're looking at, at all options, but what people can do is just email us at, at not at not in this small town at gmail.com, not in this small town at gmail.com. Um, we're giving updates, we're keeping people abreast of what's happening. If there are protests, of course, peaceful. If there are any uh, messages we wanna get out and um, it's not about money. This is about the power of the people. If you hear about a rally in any of the five boroughs, get your butt down there and bring a friend. Because the only thing these people respond to is loud noises and civil disobedience. We want to be as peacefully, civilly, civil disobedient as we can. I, people, I think, were shocked the other day to see a press conference uh, in which uh, Jerry Nadler uh, and uh, AOC uh, were extolling uh, the great virtues of this illegal immigrant invasion uh, and their constituents in the most liberal borough in New York uh, were shouting them down. They seemed shocked by that. You also mentioned Staten Island President uh, Vito Fisella, who's been a true statesman through this entire crisis. Vito has gone to court uh, to try to block the invasion and protect the security of Staten Island. Uh, he continues to be a, a spokesman uh, for reason uh, in this issue. But there is no evidence uh, that the federal government is going to seal our southern border or that this flow of illegals to New York City is going to stop anytime soon. John, uh, here's a question. Has the ethnic makeup of those invading the city changed? Are they are they mostly Latin Americans? Are they mostly African Americans? Are you seeing Asian Americans? Uh, I hear reports of Russians uh, and others, uh, many, many Chinese. Is that being reflected uh, in the migrants that you see on the buses uh, and in the five boroughs? 
You know, Roger, uh, two Sundays ago, I went on a little, uh, I did my best impersonation of James O'Keefe. I went undercover um, with a COVID mask and a hoodie, and I went into the Roosevelt Hotel. I went through the processing process. I speak Spanish, so I had my identity shielded, but uh, I worked my way through um, up to a point where I had to uh, take my mask off and uh, show them my ID. But the interesting thing that I found out while I was in there was um, I was speaking to a lot of people in there. I would say it was about 60, 60 to 70 percent of the people that are in there right now in the Roosevelt that are being processed uh, from Africa, different African nations. Um, a lot of the people in there spoke French. Uh, like I said, I speak some Spanish. So I was trying to speak to some of these people. Um, and I would say the uh, Hispanic, Spanish-speaking people were maybe a third uh, of everyone that was in there. And a large quantity of them were, uh, you know, uh, I was talking to them, you know, different, different Western Africa countries. Um, and quite frankly, Roger, my perspective changed a little bit because they were telling me stories about how some of them spoke some broken English. They were telling me stories how there's advertisements in their country um, showing Joe Biden saying, we want you here in the U.S., come come to the U.S. And then they're patching together these videos where they have Eric Adams saying, you can come here and we'll take care of you. You'll get a hotel room. So these people are kind of confused because they cross the border. They're met with a red carpet. Then they're put on an air-conditioned coach bus full of food to New York City. They're in Times Square in no time. Then they walked into, uh, like you said, a landmark, beautiful hotel like the Roosevelt. They're given a beautiful room with a private bathroom. And then uh, all of a sudden they're getting out to these outer boroughs, to these sites where there are hundreds of people who are not welcoming them. And these people are kind of confused, like, hey, we were told we were wanted here. Now we're starting to realize that we're not. And... Uh, to me, it, it, it's a sad indictment on our administration because these people are just merely innocent pawns in a game that you laid out artfully earlier. Um, they want to get them in, they want to get them work, work cards, and then they want to give them voting rights. And uh, it's really, someone asked me, is this all about money? I'm sure there's pockets being lined all over the Hochul and the, and the Adams administration from all these no-bid contracts they're giving out under their emergency orders. But at the federal level, if you ask me, it's not about money at all. It's about power. They want to ensure and, and embolden, strengthen their uh, majorities in the places they need it most. Uh, and if they take, like, one more state off the map, like Texas or something, um, they can seal themselves in power for quite some time. So I, I think it's a much bigger globalist plan under the NWO, you know, New World Order, One World Government, and... Uh, they want to take Republicans off the map, if you're asking me. Uh, ending the sovereignty of the United States. Um, I also want to salute uh, my old friend, Curtis Sliwa, uh, who normally can be heard at WABC Radio in New York, who, along with John Tobacco and several others, has showed extraordinary leadership in this crisis. John, we are praying for you. We're praying for the people of Staten Island. We're praying for the people of all boroughs. We're even praying for the migrants. Uh, that all of this be resolved peacefully. President Dwight Eisenhower uh, deported 1.3 million illegals from the country when he was president. 
uh, President Donald Trump has vowed if he returns to the White House, he would enact an enormous deportation, sending these people back to their home countries. Uh, we pray for a peaceful uh, result for all of this. I do want to mention that John Tobacco is going to join me this weekend on WABC Radio. Uh, you can listen to that show from 3 to 5 Eastern Time at WABCRadio.com. If you live in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, of course, you'll be able to dial in at 770 on the AM dial. But if you're anyplace else, uh, we are live streaming worldwide uh, at WABCRadio.com between 3 and 5, 7, uh, 3 and 5 p.m. Eastern Time. John Tobacco will be joining us there uh, with an update on this entire issue. John, I understand you're broadcasting today from difficult circumstances. Please give my very best regards to Mayor Eric Adams. God bless you. There Say hello is, to your buddy. How's it going, Roger? Roger Stone. Roger. Just a shout out to you, Curtis. I just did a shout out to you. God bless you, my friend, for your leadership. The whole world is watching. <laughs> All right. Both friends of mine, John Tobacco uh, and uh, the legendary uh, head uh, of the uh, of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Sliwa, who was the Republican candidate for mayor in the last mayoral election and who has shown extraordinary leadership uh, in this migrant crisis in New York City. I'm Roger Stone. This is the Stone Zone. Until tomorrow, God bless you and Godspeed. I'm excited to announce that you've all made my Pillow 2.0 a huge success. And with your amazing support, we've been able to expand my Pillow's USA manufacturing and jobs. And to make room for this, we're clearing out a line of our percale bed sheets. And to thank you, I'm bringing them to you at closeout prices. Use your promo code and you get my king size for only $39 a set. Queens, $35, Fulls, $29, and twin size, just $25. I'm interrupting this commercial to let you know that we've received the last two shipments of these percale bed sheets. And because of this, I've been able to add more colors, sizes, and even prints. And they're still at closeout prices. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen now. Use your promo code and you'll get my king size, only $39 a set. Queens, $35. Full, $29. And twin size, just $25. Order now. Once they're gone, they're gone for good.